Thanks for joining us here at New Song Church, where we are helping people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you have any questions at all or just want to learn more about us as a church, you can check us out online at mynsc.org. It's the best way to stay connected with us throughout your week. And now, check out this week's sermon. And uh, you're joining us for week number two of a two-week series that I've had the opportunity uh, to, to teach and to lead. And it's a series we're calling Lies We Believe. And, and here's why we're calling it that. It's because over and over again, Jesus told us that we would have a very real enemy in the devil and that we should not ignore that he has come on a very single-minded mission. And that mission we learn in John 10, 10 is to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus is basically saying to us, be clear that the devil's motive in your life is murder. And, and the method that he chooses to use so often is through the lie. So, so we've been able to talk about, or we're going to talk about two very specific lies that I'm convinced that every single one of us at one time or another have allowed to derail us from our purpose and to stagnate our life and just keep us right there kind of in a cell and not experiencing the freedom that we could be experiencing. And, and if you weren't here last week, I started this series off with the lie of you didn't just fail, you're a failure. And so if you've ever struggled with self-condemnation and guilt or shame because of maybe something you did or something that you said, you really need to go back and listen to that message. I believe God used it to really set some people free, and I believe that it'll bless you as well. And so today I want to tackle lie number two, and it's this one. Your dream will never be a reality. That's a lie that the enemy loves to use. And I, I realize that when I say that to a church of our size and to a group this large, I, I know that that kind of lands on everybody in a slightly different way. It's all based on our past, our circumstances, and, and really where we currently are in our life. So in other words, for some of you in here today, maybe it's simply been the dream of your life to have a great marriage. And, and you know that there is so much water under the bridge, that, that there are so many things that have been said, so many things that have been done, that there have been years and years that have passed by and your marriage has really just been stagnant or stale, maybe because of things that have been done or things that have been said for so long that you're finding it difficult to forgive and to move beyond it. And maybe when you think of having this dream marriage that you've always envisioned, that you see it as, man, you're going to be honoring God. It's going to be full of mutual respect and trust and honor. And it just seems impossible. And for others in the room, maybe it's that dream of your life to just break free from that addiction that's haunted you and ran your life for so many years. That when you think about it, you think, man, my track record stinks. Like I've tried and I've failed and I've tried and I've failed. And it hasn't just been once or twice, 
But for years, I've been living under this cycle of oppressive addiction. And some days it just feels like I'm never going to be free. And for some of you, maybe that dream is finally overcoming the anxiety um, and the constant bouts of depression that you've dealt with for so long. That you, maybe you don't verbalize it, but, but you definitely wonder, God, will there ever be a week that goes by in my life that I won't feel doom and gloom and discouragement because it's wearing me down? And for others, maybe the dream really, it is maybe a business or a career, maybe something that you've worked to, worked to build and you feel like God gave you the dream, but it seems like it never gets anywhere. Like it never gets off the ground. You just keep working and working, but there's never any traction that takes place. If those are any of you, or maybe something that I didn't mention, would you trust me in a moment here when I say, hang in there? Because if God placed that dream inside of you, he will see it to its completion. I mean, I think about, maybe for any of you that's had an opportunity to uh, go through next steps and you've heard pastor Justin give the story about when he and Jennifer first had it placed on their heart to come and plant new song. And, and you remember that he said that they were in Milwaukee, Wisconsin serving at a church and God placed this overwhelming desire in their heart to plant a life giving church. They didn't even know where. At that point, they, didn't, they hadn't even heard of Plymouth, Indiana. They were clueless on Plymouth, Indiana. But God, before they ever planted this church in 2004, God placed a dream in their heart. And that's because dreams are conceived long before they're ever achieved. And this period between the birth of a dream and its realization is a process that will be filled with doubts, adversity, and challenges. I can guarantee you that, that there are going to be many days where you will ask yourself, should I quit now or should I keep going? And I don't know of anyone, maybe outside of Jesus, more qualified to teach about the process of a dream and the importance of waiting on a dream than a young man in the Old Testament named Joseph. And that's who we're going to talk about today. And now if, if you've been around church for any length of time, you're probably familiar with the story of Joseph, but I never want to assume that from the platform because one of the things that I love about New Song Church is that it, it is a church so often that many people come for the very first time. So I don't ever want to just assume that everyone knows all of the Bible stories, no matter how popular a Bible story it is. So if you're new to church, or maybe you're just not familiar with the Bible just yet, I want to give you a little bit of background on what's going on before I just jump you right into the middle of the text. Because we're going to go somewhere important in scripture today, and you need some context so that you can better understand the why about why this is such a big deal, what we're about to read. But let's go ahead and pray first. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for this awesome and incredible privilege and honor, Lord, to be able to bring your word to your people. And Lord, I pray that you would just anoint my mind and anoint my lips and that this would be your words and not mine. And that it would penetrate every heart that's in this building and that's watching from home online. In Jesus name, we pray. Amen. 
So Joseph, just to give you some quick background on Joseph, he was born into a very large family. He had 11 brothers. Come on. They weren't just pro-life. They were prolific, huh? His mom and dad is Jacob and Rachel. But because Joseph was born under some special circumstances and later in his father's life, the Bible says that his father paid special attention to him. That he was basically the favorite of all the brothers. How many know that'll get you hated real quick? And don't act like you don't have favorites if you got kids. And as you could imagine, this created a tremendous amount of resentment and hostility within the family. And he was just a young boy when God first gave him this vivid dream that flooded his heart and his mind. And it was a dream of greatness. It was a dream of great influence. And it was a dream of amazing purpose. And when I say that he had a dream, I don't mean that he just felt in his heart that one day he would do something. I mean that he literally went to bed one night and had a dream that was very vivid and that, that he would do some really amazing, powerful things that he had tremendous purpose. And yet with all of these great dreams that he receives from God and all of this great purpose that God's giving him, his life unfolds into a real life horror story that seems to only get worse with each shocking page. He finds himself the object of raging hatred from his older brothers. He's bound, he's beaten, he's sold into slavery. His brothers go home and tell their father that while they were out in the field together, that Joseph was attacked by a wild animal and killed. So for many years, what we're about to look at his father, Jacob, lived under the belief that his youngest son is dead and that he would never get to see him again. So Joseph is carried to Egypt where he's sold to an Egyptian leader named Potiphar. And his story only gets worse from there. While a slave in Potiphar's house, he becomes a victim of slander. He is falsely accused by the man's wife of sexual assault. He's thrown into prison because of it and he would remain there for 13 years of his life. And mind you, every turn and every tragic moment, the Bible declares his innocence in every single matter. That, that not one time did he actually do what they accused him of doing. All of this happened by the hand of another. Can you imagine for a moment? What must have been going through the mind of Joseph as the days in prison began to turn into months and the months began to turn into years. There had to be nights, new song, where he was in that cot looking up at the ceiling and thinking, where are my dreams now? I realized it wasn't going to happen overnight, but it never, I never could have imagined that when God gave me this dream full of such promise and potential that it would go this bad, this fast. There's just no way. And he's like, I wonder how many emotional scars did Joseph have that he carried and how many nights alone in prison did he cry himself to sleep wondering if this was the place where he and his dream were going to die. But luckily the story turns and after 13 long years, a miracle happens. Listen to this. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt also has a dream, but now Pharaoh's dream is terrifying and extremely confusing. And we're going to pick up there in Genesis 41, verse one 
through eight, it says Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile river. And in his dream, he saw seven fat, healthy cows come up out of the river and begin grazing in the marsh, in the marsh grass. Then he saw seven more cows come up behind them from the Nile, but these were scrawny and thin. These cows stood beside the fat cows on the riverbank, and then the scrawny, thin cows ate the seven healthy fat cows. At this point in the dream, Pharaoh woke up, but he fell asleep again and had a second dream. This time he saw seven heads of grain, plump and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. And then seven more heads of grain appeared, but these were shriveled and withered by the east wind. And these thin heads swallowed up the seven plump, well-formed heads. And then Pharaoh woke up again and realized it was a dream. And the next morning, Pharaoh was very disturbed by the dreams. So he called for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt how many know sometimes when you get confused, there's people out there that go seeking help in the wrong places from the wrong people. It says when Pharaoh told them his dreams, not one of them could tell him what they meant. And the story will go on. And it says that uh, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, right? So that's the guy that would drink of the wine before the king ever got it. So that if it was poison, he's dropping dead and not the king. What a job that must have been, huh? But it just so happens that Pharaoh's chief cupbearer had spent some time with Joseph in the prison and he presents a crazy idea to Pharaoh. He's like, Pharaoh, you remember a couple years ago when you got really mad at me and the chief baker and you had us thrown in prison? Well, there was this guy. He was a young Hebrew and he would interpret our dreams when we would have disturbing dreams, he would interpret them for us and everything he said would come to be. Now, I know I'm asking you to bring an inmate into the palace, Pharaoh, but desperate times call for desperate measures. And so Pharaoh agrees to this and he sends for Joseph and that's where we're going to pick up. And this is going to be a, a decent portion of scripture here, but hang in with me. We're going to put it up on the screens. And right when I'm done reading it, I'm going to give you three quick observations. And then we're going to learn four quick lessons on how we can learn from Joseph, how to wait on a dream. Here we go. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from the prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, we can learn something there. Young men in the room, if you got a job interview, you better look good. That one's for free. That's a youth pastor coming out in me. Said he went in and stood before Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night and no one here can tell me what it means. But I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. And I love what his response is. Joseph says, it is beyond my power to do this. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. How many know it's important that when God gives you a gift, that you don't take on that gift so that you can raise up your own platform, but you're constantly giving credit and giving the glory to God. And that's what he's doing. And then after Pharaoh shares the details of his dream, we pick up again in verse 25 and it says this, Joseph responded, both of Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. 
God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heads of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. The seven thin scrawny cows that came up later and the seven thin heads of grain withered by the east wind represent seven years of famine. And this will happen just as I have described it, for God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. This famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. As for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God and he will soon make them happen. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all of the crops during the seven good years. Having them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it so there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man? So obviously filled with the spirit of God. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I sitting on my throne will have a higher rank than yours. Whoa. Let's take a moment and digest what we just read. Because remember, just 10 minutes ago, he's walking in as an inmate. And and I know you got to hang with Pastor Josh here, right? It's the youth pastor in me. I always envision things when I read them in scripture. And I just envision, although he is in new clothes and he's clean shaven and he's looking good, they give him a shower before he came before Pharaoh. But remember, he's an inmate. So just imagine him shuffling in, in some chains. And then all of a sudden, in about 10 minutes, it goes from chained up to unshackle him. He's now vice president of this country. And everyone in the room is going to do exactly what he tells you to do. I mean, we could just stop right there, new song. We could just stop there, pray, call it a day. Because that's incredible that God's faithfulness to to the dream that he placed in Joseph's heart, that he would take him through all the craziness, all the awful, and yet say, hey, man, remember, I never removed my hand from you. That dream is still just as alive today as it was when you were thrown in the pit, when you were sold into slavery, when you were wrongly accused, when you were in prison, forgotten about, and all of a sudden, what does God do? It's amazing. He pulls them out of there. And in that divine moment, he's able to elevate him all the way to second in command. Our God is good and our God is faithful. New song. That's incredible. But we're going to dive just a touch deeper today. Because I believe there's some wisdom happening here in this scripture that we're going to need in our life and in our pursuit of what God has placed, that purpose 
and that dream that he's placed inside of each and every one of us. And since, like I said, there's no one more qualified to teach us about dream resilience than Joseph in scripture. Here's three quick observations from that scripture, followed by four quick lessons that we can learn from Joseph on how to wait on a dream. Observation number one, never give up on the dream, even when it doesn't start well. Because for many of us, our dream didn't start well. Let me show, you, show it to you in Joseph's story. Genesis 37. <clears throat> it says, one night Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. And suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed down low before me. Well, that kind of makes you hate him right there. Could you imagine being one of his older brothers? And you're hearing that from your young punk brother. You're going to bow down to me one day. I mean, that's exactly how Joseph's being received is they're like, oh, this kid, I can't take him any longer. Says his brothers responded. So you think you will be our king, do you? So do you actually think you will reign over us? Because you got to remember the cultural context because this is Hebrew culture. They were his older brothers. Your birth order meant something. It meant what you were going to be entitled to. So what he was telling them, although he knew it was a dream from God that God had placed in his heart, those older brothers and even his father are receiving that like you have lost your mind. That's not how this works. It culturally didn't make any sense. So Joseph is saying this to his brothers and he's sounding like an arrogant, young, immature kid. And Joseph was so excited about his dream, but in his excitement, I truly believe that his youth and immaturity caused him to not realize how something like this would be received by his brothers. And at the very moment this dream is revealed, it didn't go well. How many know that sometimes you can say something that's truthful, but it's not helpful. That's kind of what he's experiencing here. And you see, a dream is always most vulnerable in its infancy, and the enemy knows this. If the devil can kill a dream before it matures, he knows that's the easiest time to snuff it out. It would have been very understandable. I'm going to give you something you can relate to here. I talked about PJ and Jennifer earlier. It would have been very understandable if 18 years ago, when God placed the dream in the heart of Pastor Justin and Jennifer to move from Milwaukee, Wisconsin to a small town in Northern Indiana that neither of them had ever heard of to plant a life-giving church. Mind you, when they got here, they sent out thousands of mailers. They knocked on doors. They set up 200 chairs, they said, at the Knights of Columbus for their launch service. Only to see that Sunday morning, 14 people show up. It would have been understandable if they would have abandoned the dream in that moment. It would have been understandable if they just chalked it up as, well, maybe we didn't hear from God. But they didn't give up on the dream that God placed in their heart. They persevered through and pastor said that in his prayer time, he was very honest and upfront. Anytime he's ever told this story, he said they wept after that very first service because they had these great expectations of the dream that God placed in their heart that, oh my, 
If God's taken us to Plymouth, Indiana, a place we've never heard of, and I feel this call so strongly to be there, man, we're setting up 200 chairs and they're going to be filled in Jesus' name. 14 people. They went home and cried. And yet, pastor went into his prayer time and he said that God told him probably one of the clearest messages he's ever received from the Lord. If you will be faithful with few, I will entrust you with many. And look what the Lord has done because they didn't abandon the dream when it started, not like the way they expected. Observation number two, never give up on the dream, even though everyone doesn't see it or support it. You can, you just can't expect everyone to celebrate what you celebrate because they don't see what you see yet. Let me show it to you in the Bible. Joseph tells the dream and he tells it to his family. They shoot it down. You see, Joseph was a born leader. God placed that in him. Yes, he was young. Yes, he was immature in the way that he presented the dream to his family. But he was a born leader. And something that Pastor Craig Rochelle says is leadership by its very nature means being out in front. And sometimes that means you're going to see things that others just don't see yet. So it's not going to make sense to them. And one of the downsides of being the first one through the door is you're the one that always takes the bullets. In any situation, when you lead and you're the first one through the door, it's the nature of leading something that when people, when they can't see it, they can't understand it. And so often people will reject what they don't understand. And if God gives you a vision and nobody sees it yet, don't expect them to be like, oh my, that's so exciting. I think that's a great idea. As a matter of fact, they'll probably more than likely look at you and go, have you lost your mind? That's a crazy idea. I wish every one of you could have been there in Knox at the Pizza Hut a little over seven years ago when I sat down with my agency manager and told him coming off of one of the best financial sales years I ever had in the insurance business and said, hey, let me stop you right there because the whole point of the meeting was to discuss the next year and what we were going to do. I said, hang on, time out. Just wanted to let you know, I'm going to be resigning today because I'm taking a full-time ministry position at my church. What? It didn't make a lick of sense. It wasn't him going, oh my goodness, that's incredible. I seen that dream too. No, he thought I had lost my mind because he wasn't able to see what I seen. He didn't get the same dream in his heart that I got in my heart to be able to come and lead the teenagers and be able to minister to each and every one of you as well. He didn't see it. So he didn't understand. Observation number three. Never give up on a dream, even though there are unexpected twists and turns because they're coming and there's going to be lots of them. You know, I think about the first time that, that, you know, we made that shortly after that meeting and Mallory and I first took over the youth group here at New Song. We were in the old building. I remember the youth room smelled terrible, especially in the summer. Oh my goodness. We're so blessed to be in the new building. 
But I remember being there and, and we probably at that time when we had taken it over, we had a steady about 30, 35 students that were coming uh, to youth group at that time. And then a few months later, we had what we call a, a Gideon's revival because it got down to about 15 students. And we started to wonder, did we really hear from God? We, we, we were contemplating, should we just abandon this dream? Because this really isn't going the way that we thought it would. And I remember the enemy would actually whisper things in my ear like, look what you've done. If you just would have stayed where you were, you were doing fine. And all these teenagers were better off with you not being here leading them. Just look around you. But thank God that I had some people around me that was able to identify a lie. And I so appreciate in that moment, that was when I really received a good deal of wisdom and encouragement from Pastor Justin's father, Pastor Allen. I remember he just quietly pulled me aside one time. He could tell I was frustrated. And he just said, Josh, don't worry about the numbers right now. Just feed those that are hungry. I've always remembered that. I carry it with me. I've, I've never once worried about numbers since then. I just feed those that are hungry. When they show up, I'm going to give them 110%. I'm going to pour the word of God into them. I'm going to pour love into them. It doesn't matter. I'm going to feed those that are hungry. And then you fast forward seven years later. And earlier this year, we had a 412 night where we seen almost 75 students come and five of them give their life to Jesus. How incredible is that? And it's not, it's not any of our doing. It's to the glory of God. And it's because we didn't bail on a dream just because there were twists and turns. Because in the pursuit of your dream, there's going to be good days and there's going to be bad days. I mean, let's rehash Joseph here. God gives him a dream. Woo, that's awesome. Then his family rejects it and meets it with anger. Oh, that's bad. And then his brothers, they could have killed him, but they didn't. Woo, this is good. Then they sell him into slavery. Oh, bad day. He finds favor at Potiphar's house in Egypt. Yes. And then Potiphar's wife gets the hots for him and he rejects her. So she falsely accuses him of sexual assault. Dag nabbit. He finds favor while in prison. Wow, that's awesome. Then the guys that he gains favor with get out of prison. They had promised to pull him out. When they got out, they forgot about him. Seriously? Then he gets released, interprets Pharaoh's dream, and gets elevated to second in command in Egypt. That's incredible. That's God's favor. Here's my point. At every turn, there will always be something bad and there will always be something good. So let me put it this way. Every opportunity that God gives you, there will be opposition. It's guaranteed. Paul writes about it. 1 Corinthians 16, 9. We'll put it up on the screen for you. It says, for the present, I'm staying right here in Ephesus because a huge door of opportunity for great work has opened up here but there is also ever-growing opposition. You see, New Song, you have to expect resistance and trust that whatever comes up, God will make a way around it. And he'll be right there with you the whole step. And just like with Joseph, there will be some really good days in the pursuit of your dream. And there's going to be some really down days. But would you do me and do God a favor? Never give up 
on a down day. I love what Dr. John Maxwell says. He says, you should never make big decisions when you are emotionally vulnerable, when you're down or you're discouraged because you're always going to regret them. So don't ever quit a dream on a down day. I put this quote in your notes. With God, timing is more important than time. Let that sink in for a moment. With God, timing is more important than time. But you see, as humans, we hate that. Oh, we hate it. How do I know that we hate it? Because I've seen you all at red lights. Have you ever been at a red light before and all of a sudden it turns green? And if that person in front doesn't have like a professional top fuel dragster reaction time, what do you do? Honk, honk, honk. You hate waiting. We live in a time right now, new song, that if it takes more than four minutes to get a burger, fries, and shake, we're like, this is ridiculous. I don't have time for this. We hate to wait. But with God, timing is way more important than time. I think too often we overestimate what God can do in one year, but grossly underestimate what God will do in 10 years. We don't have patience to wait on the dream too often. Pastor, how do we wait? I'm glad you asked. I want to give you these four quick lessons that we can learn from Joseph on how to wait on a dream. Number one, you need to look for and celebrate God's favor, even in the little things, even in the little things. So often I think we forget just how much God has blessed us, how much God protects us, on a daily basis. We might feel like we're in a pit. We might feel like we just got sold into slavery. But can I tell you, if we'll just take a moment and look around, we will see the hand of God everywhere in our life, still providing, still protecting, and still moving. Please, new song, do not let what you don't have blind you from what you do have. Number two, while you wait, develop yourself daily. Read a book. Do something that's going to improve you. I don't care if you're seven or you're 70. God still has a plan for your life. Develop it. Dive in. Joseph was working on his leadership and his abilities every day. How do I know that? Because no matter where you found him, Joseph rose to the top. When he was a slave in Potiphar's house, he was promoted to an overseer. When he was in prison, he was elevated to an inmate supervisor. You couldn't keep this guy down. Didn't matter where he was, he was improving and building and working on that relationship and leadership that God placed inside of him. Highly, effect, highly effective people are not brought into notoriety because of some stroke of luck that happened to them one day. It's because they've worked on it and they've built and they've built. I put this in your notes as well, this quote. You're always working on it while you're waiting for it. I think that's key. I love what Pastor Kerry Newhoff said because I think he says it best when he said, we have to prepare ourselves today 
to be the kind of leader needed when that thing you're praying for actually arrives because it will bring with it responsibility and it will require your best. So always be developing. The worst thing that could happen to you would be for God to bring you the fullness of the dream, the fullness of the purpose that he's placed in your heart before you're ready because the weight of it will crush you. You know, it was year two of youth ministry and Mallory and I were praying and man, I was praying, Lord, bring a hundred teenagers regularly attending Lord God, a hundred plus. But did you know I wasn't ready? God is so gracious and so merciful that he didn't let that happen. He's like, no, my man, you need to still hone and discover and work on some skills. You need to build up some things. You need to learn a couple things. You ain't ready for that harvest yet. And that's something that recently the Lord had placed on my heart and that I've thanked him for multiple times is that he didn't bring the rain to the fields until I was ready for the harvest. We didn't have the the volunteers in place. I wasn't spiritually prepared. I wasn't ready. And God knew it and he loved me enough that he held back the harvest until I was ready because he knew the weight of it would crush me if it happened too soon. Number three, understand that self-promotion can never replace divine promotion. When Joseph was young and immature, he tried to advance his dream too quickly. But when God had proven him and matured him, when God had seasoned Joseph over many, many years and many different circumstances, it just took one moment to elevate him into incredible power. Do you guys know that the Holy Spirit can do more in 10 seconds than we can in a lifetime? There's no reason in getting in a hurry. Just trust God that he's going to elevate you. Prepare yourself and trust that he's going to elevate you to that dream when you're ready. Be humble, work hard, give your very best every day. Don't worry if people think you're great or recognize you for it. Just get up every day and offer your very best as a sacrifice of praise to God. I tell that to the teenagers all the time because they'll come to me and they'll say, "Ah, Pastor, I I can't really do anything big. You know, I'm just working part-time at the McDonald's. And I'll say, be the best fry cook this land's ever seen and give all the glory to God for it. Respect your bosses. Speak words of encouragement to your coworkers and do it all for the glory of God and watch and see what God does with that. Last one, number four. Remind yourself daily that the harder the journey, the sweeter the victory. Joseph never knew how it was going to unfold and play out. But what he did know is that God had given him a dream and that one day he knew God was faithful and it was going to be a reality. Joseph could have never dreamed in a million years that he could have gone from a prison cell to a palace hall. He would have never imagined that his family would be reconciled and brought back together. But if Joseph could come back right now and stand on this platform and tell you, I believe he would say, 
that his realization of his dream exceeded all of his expectations. I love what Paul writes in Galatians 6, 9 when he says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing. This is the best part. If we never give up. If we don't give up on the dream, God's got some amazing things planned for us. What's that dream that God placed in your heart? And maybe through circumstances and time, you've given up on that dream. I think it's time to resurrect some dreams in here. And I'm believing that the Holy Spirit's already began that. Because I think it's so important for you to know that if God's given you the dream, he will see it to the finish. Because God's not just a promise maker, he's a promise keeper. And there's gonna be a lot of difficult days. And Joseph would tell you, it's worth the work and it's worth the wait. New song, would you stand with me as we prepare to close? I think there's so many people that have come up against some very real opposition and it's caused you to just give up on a dream, to abandon it, to think, maybe convince yourself, well, that wasn't God. There's no way that was God. Because if that was God, it wouldn't have been met with opposition, right? He just would have opened every door and I wouldn't have had to do anything. No, not always. Sometimes you will come up against opposition, but something that's amazing is that God never wastes the opposition. God never wastes the down days. That through it, God knows he's building you up and that he's equipping you with something that you're going to need when you enter into that purpose and into that dream. God's that good of a God. Can we close our eyes and bow our heads? I don't ever want to let an opportunity that I get to get up on this platform and share God's word to go by without giving somebody the opportunity to get right with the Lord. Someone that says, you know what, pastor, I've, I've never really even made that first step towards God. I've never accepted Jesus as my savior and what he did on the cross for me. But man, today I want to do that. I want to make today, I want to put a stake in the ground to say from this day forward, I'm going to live for the Lord. If that's you, with every eye closed and head bowed, would you be bold enough just to shoot your hand up and say, Pastor, that's me. Include me in that prayer. That's awesome. I see that hand. So I'm going to pray. And the first part of this prayer is going to be for you that just raised your hand. But then the second part of this, I'm just going to pray over each and every one of you that the Lord has used today's word to minister to you, that you're gonna stop believing that lie that says your dream will never be a reality. That you would know, that you would walk out of these doors today and realize no matter what your age, that that same dream that God planted in your heart, maybe years ago, he is gonna see it through to the finish. You just have to trust him. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, I thank you so much for your love for your grace, for your mercy. And Lord, I give you my life today, all of it. I'm not living for myself any longer. I'm gonna live for you because I believe you are exactly who you said you are. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you went to the cross and you died for me in place of me, but you didn't stay dead. 
that you rose again three days later and would later ascend to the right hand of God the Father where you are there today interceding for me. Lord, I pray you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the power that I need to live out this Christian life, to be bold, to pursue my dreams that you've placed in me on purpose with a purpose. And Lord, I pray over every single person that's under the sound of my voice and that's watching from home online. And Lord, I pray that you would resurrect dreams inside of them, Lord. Lord, the dreams and the purposes that you've placed in them while they were yet being molded by their mother, in their mother's womb by you, Lord. I pray that they would be able to have the boldness to live out that dream. That maybe if they've bailed on it, Lord, they would pick it back up and know that you gave them the promise and that you're gonna see them through it to the finish. And that they're gonna do great and amazing things with that purpose. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Can we just celebrate those that gave their life to Jesus this morning? That's awesome. Well, New Song, I would encourage you, continue to be praying for the Pittman family, if you would. And I want you guys to go out, be bold, have an incredible week, and we'll see you again here next week. God bless. We love you. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in what God is doing through your life, and we would love to continue on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to mynsc.org connect. Thank you to all of you who consistently give, serve, and pray. You are the ones that God is using to truly make a difference in our community as we live out our mission of leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. We hope you tune in next week. Thank you.